This is the Consumed Podcast, featuring conversations with the eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers of California's Central Coast. I'm a food writer and your host, Jamie Lewis. Before we get to the guest, I want to tell you about an event I'm hosting in collaboration with At Her Table, a food festival that celebrates women. The live event is called Apron Strings, a conversation about motherhood and the hospitality industry. And it's happening Tuesday, March 7th from 6 to 8 p.m. at There Does Not Exist Brewing in San Luis Obispo. In this live podcast recording, I'll speak with four mothers who own restaurants, Fabian Tefera of Ebony Slow, Brittany Gonzalez of Central Coast Tacos, Shani Covey of Luna Red and Robin's Restaurant, and Sam Whitaker of Bing's Bao Buns. And we want you in the audience. Admission is free, but you need to RSVP to claim your seat. Head to letsgetconsumed.com slash events for more info and a link to that RSVP. Thanks. I also want to give a shout out to some of the Consumed Podcast sponsors. Consumed is sponsored by Mid-State Containers, Cargo Storage Containers, and Refrigerated Shipping Containers for sale and rent in California. You may not understand how Mid-State Containers could change your life, but the truth is, Many, many guests on the Consumed podcast use MidState for their projects. Containers can serve as wine storage units for case goods for private collections and even tasting rooms. They can be refrigerated storage containers for breweries, kegs, and fruit during harvest for wineries. MidState containers outfits coolers and freezers for ranchers, farmers market growers, orchards, and butchers. Containers can make great pop-up coffee bars and berry containers for root sellers. My guest from Season 10, Krista Flieger, from Lonely Palm Ranch, uses her mid-state container for an office on her property. Other ideas include schoolrooms, music and photography studios, and there are other things that can be grown, stored, and processed in a mid-state container, so use your imagination and get on their website to request a quote. Midstatecontainers.com The Consume Podcast is sponsored by Slow Life Magazine, a bi-monthly publication that celebrates the spirit of San Luis Obispo. I've been writing for Slow Life's food column since 2015, and I've covered a whole lot of restaurants and eaten a whole lot of dishes in that time. Standouts include the fries at Beta's Beer Garden, the carnitas at Taqueria Santa Cruz, the bao at Mihang Lo, and the burgers at Flavor Factory. For the next issue, I'm writing about French bistro cuisine at Blue Moon over Avila and executive chef Jose Dahan. I won't spoil the surprise, but if you're a francophile, you're going to want to read that article. Look for Slow Life Magazine in your mailbox every other month or get yourself a subscription at slowlifemagazine.com. Do you want to be more intentional about the meat you eat and feed your family? Have you even considered giving up eating meat entirely because you can no longer justify supporting the inhumane and industrialized system that brings meat to your dinner table? If you're looking for a simple way to guarantee you always have access to healthy, sustainably farmed meat and wild seafood, the Larder Meat Co. is here to help. Since 2016, Larder Meat Co. has been delivering farm-raised beef, pork, chicken, lamb, and wild seafood sourced from right here in the Golden State to customers who demand the highest quality proteins as well as intentional sourcing standards and transparency. A convenient club box from Larder Meat Co. makes it easy to automate the most important part of your monthly food budget. 
you can build a custom box or choose from one of the many curated bundles that LMC offers. As a Larder Meat Co. customer, you are supporting the ever-dwindling ranching industry that has fed us for generations, and you're building a sustainable future for your family, our ranchers, and the planet. Use code CONSUMED at checkout to save $25 on your first subscription and check healthy farm-raised meat and wild seafood off your grocery list for good. That's LarderMeatCo.com. Promo code CONSUMED for $25 off your first subscription. Okay, on to the episode. A couple weeks ago, as I was scrolling around on Instagram, I saw photos from the recent grand opening of the Bridge Cafe in downtown San Luis Obispo. This isn't just any eatery. In collaboration with the Cuesta College Culinary Arts Foundation, the Bridge Cafe is a social enterprise, providing culinary training and employment for people who have previously been incarcerated. As I looked at these photos, one face stood out amid the crowd, beaming with a little extra light. Turns out it was the face of Sister Teresa Harpin, executive director of the organization Restorative Partners, which helps people move from inside the justice system to outside it and which oversees the administration of the Bridge Cafe. Teresa is a sister of St. Joseph of Carondelet, a Catholic congregation begun in 1650 around, what else, a kitchen table in France. She is kind, articulate, and her clear-eyed way of seeing the world is positively infectious. Listen to Sister Teresa talk about growing up in the Carl's Jr. family, how she decided to become a nun, her work inside the justice system, and how she dreamed about establishing the Bridge Cafe eight years before it became a reality. Here is Sister Teresa Harpin. You were just relating something about, you were thinking about it this morning, um, about food, body, and intimacy. Will you repeat what you just said? Well, as I reflected on preparing for this conversation with you today... Thanks for preparing. (laughs) I like to think ahead of time about stuff that I'm going to uh, express or share with this conversation, is a couple of things. Is One is, for all eternity, I think, for all time, food, body, and intimacy have been connected. Mm Uh, If we look just at the human experience of mother's breastfeeding, and that's all about nourishment, but it's as much about bonding and intimacy than even the milk, okay? Uh, It's very sacrificial in the sense of what a mother has to do to be able to produce that. You know, I'm one of 10 children. My mother could never breastfeed past the first or second. And so growing up and learning the, the intimacy of that and the value of that had to be shifted. But that's another story. Wow. Um, but that is powerful to me. Within my own Catholic Christian tradition, the most intimate thing we do is gather at the table mm-hmm. and say, this is my body, this is my blood, and we take that nourishment, and it's our spiritual food for the journey. Mm-hmm. So... And then I think about my own religious community. I'm a sister of St. Joseph of Carondelet. Our early years of foundation were in Lipuy, France. Mm. And um, it happened around the kitchen table Mm -hmm. where the women would gather after their day of service and busyness or whatever, and they would come to the kitchen table and reflect on their day. Mm -hmm. 
I have been in that kitchen. I've stood oh, there how cool is that? where our founding mothers sat and said the essence of our practice, and we call it praxis, mm-hmm. action, reflection for better action, more reflection for better action. That dwelling on that dynamic was done at the kitchen table mm-hmm. around a hearth. And it was the seating of what we've become since then all over the world. Mm-hmm. When we gather, we often have the kitchen table image on the screen to remember that mm-hmm. though we are many more than the first few sisters, we know that we are at home. We're about intimacy and connection and relationship. And that happens most expressly in a place where you feel comfortable, Mm. safe, secure, but also empowered to use that nourishment around the table, spiritual Mm -hmm. and physical, to do God's work in the world. Mm. And so that has been a part of me in the present work that I'm doing. Yeah. Will you back up a little bit and tell well so I, you you got my interest peaked with the 10 kids thing <laughs> so where did you grow up so i was born i mean my birth certificate says fullerton california mm-hmm. but our home was in anaheim okay and um so my early years first 13 years were i was raised in anaheim california and i was raised around food because mm-hmm. my cousin's are the founders of Carl's Jr. Restaurant. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so this is awesome. I was connected to that. I remember the very first store, you know, yeah. and we lived and went to school blocks away from that. So that's where we'd go. And they would give us these free ice cream cones when they first opened. Mm. Now, of course, Carl and Margaret Karcher started with a hot dog cart more in the LA area. But when they migrated to Orange County, it migrated into Carl's Jr.'s, you know. Yeah. And so I went to school with all their kids. You know, they had 12, we had 10. And so we were kind of paired up through uh, our education. And so, and I was at their kitchen table many times for dinner. And food was always, well, of course, with that many family, that many children. Oh, gosh. Lots of food. My mother made miracles every day. Mm. She stretched the little that we had into something that was always enough and room for more. Mm-hmm. And the abundance, the sense of life is about abundance, not scarcity. Mm-hmm. It's about sharing what you have, and there's plenty for all. And all were welcomed at that table. It was an inclusive table. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in that environment. And then my dad, he was working for another company. He didn't work for Carl's Juniors. He worked for Alex Morales. Mm-hmm. And they had an, an industry that was Mexican food. Mm-hmm. And my father was the CPA. And so I was around all of the tamales and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. And then um, my father decided to go into his own business in San Diego, was the opportunity, working with uh, the Navy industry there, which San Diego is known for. So when I was 13, our whole family picked up and moved to San Diego. Mm. Away from your cousins. Away from my cousins. And that separated us by geography and access. Mm-hmm. There was no internet at that time, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it continued in me in a different way. Um, my, the high school that I was, I got to go to was a privilege. It was mm-hmm. the Academy of Our Lady of Peace in San Diego, mm-hmm. a women's 
High School run by the Sisters of St. Joseph. Oh, there's the connection. So there's the connection. And they had the experience of always around the table with joy, with plenty of food. So it just kind of continued what I saw Mm -hmm. was important. And um, lunchtime was a free-for-all for for everybody. And I mean, it just was always good. Food always connects people. It's about building relationship. Mm -hmm. It's about building a network of support. It's about while we're eating, let's commune. Yeah. You know? It's so natural to do that. It's so natural. I mean, really, when you get together or people get together for a romantic conversation, it's Mm -hmm. often with candlelight. Think about Valentine's Day coming up. You know, how many of those romantic dinners are going to be? But it isn't, it isn't anything unless it's really a sense of communion and union yeah. Yeah. and sharing and intimacy. Mm-hmm. You could have all the ambiance you want. You could put whatever artifact you want on the table. But it's secondary to building relationships. Yeah. So that was ingrained in me. Mm-hmm. And so it was no wonder that when I was... 20 years old, (laughs) I felt the sense for a long time that God might be calling me to religious life. Mm -hmm. And I responded. And Mm -hmm. I entered in 1971. That means I'm over 50 years, a sister of St. Joseph. (laughs) (laughs) And um, life has continued, you know. Yeah. When you made that decision, Mm -hmm. did you, um, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I am curious. Um, did you feel any ambiguity about it at first? Did it kind of grow when you say that you were feeling God call you to that? Yes. What did that feel like? Well, it felt like it was a real representation of who I am. Mm. Um, of course, all through high school, I did what girls do. I dated. I had significant boyfriends. I was proposed to. I did all those things. You were proposed to. My goodness. But I felt there was something more than a singular relationship in my life yeah. for a purpose and meaning. And I felt the sense of my family will be all of God's people. Hmm. And my children will be the children of the universe, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. That was a sense of mine as a young person. I can't tell you why or where, except for I had such good examples of women religious in my life. Mm -hmm. Many. Related to my family on my mother's and father's side, Mm. but also through education, Catholic school education. I was very fortunate. They were people that were nurturing. They were people that had a spiritual connection. Mm -hmm. They were people that had a practice that would help me grow in my spiritual life. Mm-hmm. They were fun. They were <laughs> joyous. I wasn't going to any sad sack thing. Forget yeah. it. <laughs> so they had to be people who loved their life and were passionate about it and welcoming and hospitable and inclusive. Yeah, you know? life-giving. Life-giving, yeah. all of that. Yeah. And so I saw that in the women that I knew, and I, it was attractive to me, mm-hmm. and I felt God was inviting me into joining that kind for the sake of the world. Mm-hmm. And so I entered, and I really wasn't looking back or looking aside. I just had the natural maturation process of testing the waters out. Mm-hmm. You know, it took me nine years before I made final vows because there's mm-hmm. a lot of hoops to jump through in education and formation and mm-hmm. discernment and all of that. And I took advantage of it all so that I would feel clear minded when I pronounced my vows. Mm -hmm. And I did. And this last year on my 50th, I renewed those same vows Mm -hmm. in the presence of God's people Mm -hmm. at prayer at mass. And it was just, and food, 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 following. So so wonderful. Yeah. And I get a real sense of joy. You know, actually, 
all of the women religious that I've met, there is a, a huge sense of joy. Now, I haven't had access to a ton, <laughs> but the ones that I have, it's actually so encouraging and people who do so much, but they don't appear depleted, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, um, so that strength definitely comes from somewhere, for sure. The strength and the inspiration. Absolutely. Sure. And it has to be a constant in our lives. So I always tell my staff, you know, um, I don't come here to work without sitting with my God every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. Mm-hmm. It may not always be as long as I want, but I usually do it for at least an hour in the morning, you know, and a little bit more in the evening and mindful throughout the day. Because I have to have some assurance that whatever we're doing is far greater than little sister Teresa. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't get an inch off the ground. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's to be plugged in to the one who invited me in the call. Mm-hmm. And that's the source of my energy and my inspiration and my drive and my passion and my ability to do what I'm doing. Yeah. So how did you wind up in San Luis Obispo then? Ah. <laughs> well, interesting enough, I had worked many, many years in Southern California in a variety of positions. The most recent, I was coming from sabbatical. I had uh, started a Catholic church from scratch in Corona, California. Wow. The bishop called me and said, I need your help. And through a series of relationships with my community, he invited me to go out to the El Cerrito area of Corona along the High 15, just south of the 91, and said, go start something down there. Wow. So Had long, property already there? No, nothing. Wow, nothing, okay. Nothing. So I went, and the first thing you do is you gather at the table of people's homes, and you tell the dream mm-hmm. and the vision, and we need your help. Can you help us? Mm. So I did that, and then I started having mass at different locations because where we were going at that time, there was hardly any development. It was like a lot of empty land, you know, and hillsides. So long story short, we moved several places. I gathered people who wanted to come for the journey. Mm -hmm. You know, lots of people say, Sister, I'll be with you after it's done. (laughs) You got the building up. Call me when you're done. Call me when you're done, okay? And it's just the nature of people. But there were pioneers there, too. There were people that were, oh, good. We get to start this from day one. I'm in. I'm in. And so I just gathered with those folks, and we did our planning and deciding what we were going to do. And out of it came a great, generous couple. Mm -hmm. And I won't tell the whole thing. They had 172 acres of land Mm -hmm. and uh, that they were going to give us. Wow. the problem was it was in very undeveloped area, up on the hillside. Like off the grid. Off the grid, all this stuff. Yeah. So long story short, we had a three-way deal where we got the land we needed where we built the church, St. Mary Magdalene, on Wywick Road mm-hmm. on 15. Uh, and he got what he needed, which was privacy up of his land. Mm-hmm. And the county of Riverside got what they needed. So we got 14 acres of land, and then we found our way to buy the home next door, Mm -hmm. and that became my residence until we developed the land. And developing the land was a process, and but it was always fueled and um, uh, driven by our weekly gathering for Eucharist, our Mm -hmm. weekly gathering for fellowship afterwards, you know, always plenty of food wherever we were going, you know, (laughs) food and prayer, prayer and food, you know. And out of it came this amazing vision for creating a brand new Catholic community. So we got the land, 
and then I made a deal with the person we bought the land from to grade everything because he had the equipment to do it. That was part of the deal. And then we heard about this uh, 7,200 square foot building down in Paradise, California, which oh, yeah. was the sales department for the Welk Resort down there. And <laughs> it was, I think, thirty-five, forty thousand dollars $40,000 yeah. to buy. I said, let's do it. We went down on two weekends. The parishioners took that building apart, board by board, nail by nail, sealed it all up. And we had two people in our parish. One was a commercial coach mover. Mm -hmm. The other one worked for the state of California certifying commercial coaches. Wow. Wow. And we How were handy. Six, 600 people in the church at that time. But we had everything we needed. So you, you dissembled the building. Yes. Trucked it. Yes. Unloaded it and rebuilt it. That's right. That's, That's exactly. incredible. In fact, we had to store it on the develop the person that did the grading for us on his land nearby until that land was ready, which was all the planning with the county of Riverside. Yeah. We had to bring all of the electrical in, all of the septic can, the roads in. There was nothing there. It was just mm. raw land. Yeah. And so we did it. You had a lot of support. We had a lot of support. So yeah. I was there five years and we completed the project mm -hmm. and uh i wanted a little bit of time off <laughs> i was celebrating my 25th anniversary at mm -hmm. that time so i went on sabbatical and i went to the middle east okay and i studied there and prayed where did you go exactly oh well i was part of catholic theological union from chicago mm -hmm. and they do a uh trip to the middle east every fall at least at the at that time and you're grounded in um just outside the walls of Jerusalem in Bethany. Okay. And I stayed in a convent with the other sisters that were on the trip. And then we made excursions. So mm -hmm. I went to Greece and spent time. I went to Lebanon. We went to Syria. We went to Jordan. Mm -hmm. We went to Egypt. All of these places mm -hmm. we visited and followed in the footsteps. But we were with a Catholic theologian who was also an archaeologist. And oh, so cool. we went to all the archaeological sites mm -hmm. and discovered the communities under the layers of the dirt. And it, mm -hmm. I just loved it. It was, it was That's great. speaking my language. Yes. I love that. I love to be in the dirt like that. How is and it? This is very side. Yes. Just quickly, with this, um, well, with the trouble in Syria, I mean, which trouble? It's like, take your yes. pick. There's yes. so much. Um, I've heard that that's a lovely country. Oh. Has that been hard for you to watch? Yes. The, you know. Yes. When I see Aleppo, you yeah. know, now with the impact of the earthquake. The earthquake, I know. But when we were there, things were stable, mm -hmm. you know. I remember driving in on the big bus and all the people out in the neighborhoods, hello, waving yes. their hands, greeting us. and I've heard they're some of the friendliest people. Friendliest yeah. people. Oh, my gosh. The Christian community is very small there. Mm -hmm. But they got along with everybody, you mm -hmm. know. There was a sense of diversity and unity. And there was a love of country and mm -hmm. a welcome to strangers who became friends. Gosh. Today, it rips me up. Yeah, that feels so Those far away. Those water wheels that are there, that are ancient and Roman, I don't know what's left of them. Mm. Uh, Zaf oh, what's the name of the town? East in the Desert. It is a huge archaeological site. And a lot of that was defaced and torn mm -hmm. down mm -hmm. by, you know, vigilantes. Uh, if I went there, I probably wouldn't recognize Yeah. Um, yeah. But it gave me strength that in adversity, such adversity, 
people could thrive. Mm -hmm. Thrive because family and faith Mm -hmm. and food Mm -hmm. were the necessary ingredients. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was amazing. But yeah, once you meet that, you can never forget it. Yeah. Right. Can't, can't unsee. Can't forget it. Yeah. So you were over there for how long? I was over there for three and a half months Mm -hmm. and then came back for a debriefing. And then I went back another summer after that for another month. Mm -hmm. And that time I brought my niece with me and, um, and was another big group. Father Mike was with us too. And my niece had just been diagnosed with breast cancer Mm -hmm. and she wanted to make a pilgrimage to pray that experience. Mm -hmm. So she was diagnosed and she, uh, was going into treatment and, uh, in between those things was this trip. So we did the trip and then I took her, um, on a two week retreat to all the places that I thought would be healing for Mm -hmm. her. And we came back and she had the best prognosis, the best outcomes of anything. And I think it was like we took time out to meanfully bring attention to this and to let mother nature uh, take its hold on her. Mm-hmm. And she's been clear ever since. So just a restorative time. Restorative time. Yeah. Yes. That's necessary in everyone's mm-hmm. life. You know, how wonderful there are days you have to back off and yeah. slow down and, and, you know, assess mm-hmm. and, oh, we all have to do that. Yeah. Seasons of life like that Seasons too. I think I'm life. in one right now. Yes. Okay. I really do. I really do. I think that this is an assessment time. This is not an active productive time. This yes. is a, Sort of leaning back and watching, and it's so uncomfortable for me. I bet it is for you too, mm-hmm. because you're so I like active. to do things. Yes, I like yes. to do and make, and um, but yeah, I really do think. And you know, as you were talking about breastfeeding, I was thinking about when I was nursing my daughter, mm-hmm. and how you know it's easy to get. You, you mentioned sacrifice. It's easy yes. to get resentful about that. Oh, like, sure. oh I got to sit down. Yeah. And I, like, you can't do other things while you're nursing. I mean, maybe you can scroll on your phone, but you can't make dinner. You can't clean up. You just have to sit. That's right. And um, there was one time we were at a party for Easter at someone's house, and she was still so little. And she was crying because she, it was a long day, and she was kind of melting down, and I knew that she was hungry, and I felt... I'm just being real here. I felt like, ah, oh, all I want to do is talk to my friends. Mm-hmm. It's all I want to do. I don't see these people very often. I want to hang out. Mm-hmm. But nobody else can do this but me. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. I took her into a quiet room, mm-hmm. and I put her to the breast, and she took her little hand, and she put it up on my hmm. on my collarbone. Mm. And I looked down at her, and it was just like, I have got my priorities all messed up. This little being wants me right now and wants me to slow down. And I can't feed her unless I do that. Mm-hmm. And I ended up actually writing about that for mm. um, a, a, a magazine that focuses on um eating together so there's they you could pitch stories about eating in a large group eating as a family whatever that is eating as two people and eating for one and I pitched it as eating for one (laughs) it's just and that's beautiful yeah it was it was super important it was like that realization 
never would have happened if I hadn't been forced to make a break with what I thought I needed and what I wanted. And of course, is there anything wrong with communing with friends? Absolutely not. But she was like, I'm melting down. We're going to go to this quiet room and you're going to feed me and I'm going to like touch you and we're going to connect whether you like it or not. Exactly. So anyway. Isn't it true we say out of the mouths of babes or there goes I with this little child who Mm -hmm. leads me, you know, oftentimes because of the demand and the dependence, we are forced in our tracks. Mm -hmm. I think back, how many times was my mother forced to do that? So many more than I was. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And she made that sacrifice Mm -hmm. and she said yes. And probably all of her, my mother's an entertainer. She's a singer, has sung all her life. Um, She's deceased now, but um, all her life. And she gave up a career to do just that. Mm -hmm. Later, she was able to go back to it. That's good. And, but she put that on hold. Um, She did it, you know, professionally but you know randomly as we were small and growing Mm up um but I know she couldn't do it to the degree she would have loved Mm -hmm. and she made that desire you know and then she taught us because uh I mean she couldn't produce enough for the other children and I remember many many times with an infant in my arms and a bottle in my hand Mm -hmm. and lullabying and Mm -hmm. rocking and being with and stopping me in my tracks saying, it's all of you I want. All of you. <laughs> and no less. That's right. And no less. Where did you fall in that lineup of kids? I'm fourth. Okay. So you did have a, a leadership role That's a lot right. of the time. That's right. Do you feel like now in your work, I mean, I know we call you Sister Teresa. Uh-huh. But <laughs> do you feel like a mother a lot of the time for what you do? That's very interesting. I don't think I did for a long time because I thought of myself as a sister, Mm -hmm. as a sister in the world to every creature, Mm -hmm. human and otherwise. I want to be in relationship Mm -hmm. and I identify as a woman. And so I say I'm a sister to that tree, the Mm -hmm. moon, the sun, the stars. That's how I identified. And that's why I kept, some people call it a title. I don't see it as that. I see it as an expression of my right relationship with the planet Mm -hmm. and with the world. And so I retain it because I want to imagine or at least to hold up a truth that I see that is for all of us. It's Mm -hmm. not true for me only. It's true for you and everyone else. And so I've kept that. I also used it in this way. In the work that I do currently, I want people to know straight up that I am taken (laughs) i am attached (laughs) yeah i belong in the human community and no one relationship is going to uh take that kind of place or hold Mm -hmm. and so names are important they are Mm -hmm. and when i went into custody for many years i wanted the men i worked with to know that i'm your sister Mm -hmm. you know i'm not your hopeful of whatever you think this would be it's sister relationship Mm -hmm. and they love that and respect that Mm -hmm. oh my gosh it's just beautiful you know and so I've maintained that and uh, most of our sisters do they like being called by that because for the reasons I gave Mm -hmm. and um, so that's important to me there's no other religious in my family Mm -hmm. I'm the only lefty and I'm the only nun in my immediate family (laughs) that's how I (laughs) (laughs) self-identify 
<laughs> special. Yeah. Special lefty. I guess so. Lefty nun. Lefty nun. <laughs> that's your new, when you have a brewery. Yes. That's lefty what it's called. Nun. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a really good idea. You're spinning my, my imagination. I well, like so that. When you talk about going in custody, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? Well, I think I know. Yes. Um, I had dappled in working with people who have been um, in custody, incarceration, Mm -hmm. um, for over, sprinkled over many years of my life, you know, whether I was doing parish work or some other kind of field that I was into, inevitably I would bump up against families who had a loved one incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And I would go and visit them and I would work with the family and support them. So, but when I came to San Luis Obispo in 1996, my first mission, what I said yes to was Cal Poly, working with Uh, students at Cal Poly and Cuesta in the Newman Catholic Center. Okay. And right away, the priest, Father Vince, that I was working with, he said, you know, we go up to Ash every Mm -hmm. Sunday and I celebrate mass with them. Would you come? Music ministry. And so I began to get my toe in there. Well, okay, hold on. We're not just talking about, I mean, this is for anybody listening. It's a Tascadero State Hospital. Correct. Which is a a certain, um, can you describe the difference between that and say like the men's colony? Sure. Um, Those that have deemed and have been sentenced because of mental health challenges and severe and serious um, either are there for a period of time or probably forever, mm-hmm. depending on their crime, their their criminal history, and their yeah. ability to rehabilitate. Now, certainly we know a lot more about mental illness now than we did before. Sure, even in 1996. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So we went in with Father Vince to be around those folks and to help them celebrate Mass. It was as simple as that. He was a part-time chaplain there. Mm. And so my feet were getting wet in that, and I just sort of tucked it back in my mind and um, didn't think it was going to become a more directed part of my life. But then um, in 2003, was it 2003? Yeah, I got breast cancer. Mm. And Mm. I decided that I needed time out and to kind of reflect on what I was doing. And I left Newman, and I got well. And and then I began to think about what was the next step. And I started getting involved bit by bit with some of our other sisters that were working with this population. Mm-hmm. Just dappling here, dappling there, visiting here, visiting there. And then in 2006, Six, seven, my, one of my close friends and community sisters, Suzanne Jabro, who's the founder of Get on the Bus or the Center oh, for Restorative yes. Justice Works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she said, you know, come on, I want you to get involved in this. I said, well, mm. there's no prison that you're involved in here. Mm. If you want me to do this with you, then let's do a Father's Day event. Mm-hmm. I know you do Mother's Day event in Chow, you know, Chow Chilla. Yeah. And so I went up there and I saw that. I said, let's do a Father's Day. Fathers yeah. need to be engaged with their kids. Yeah. And describe what Get on the Bus is. So Get on the Bus reunites children with their incarcerated parents. Mm -hmm. And we know from studies that this, when possible and it's safe, is very critical to rehabilitation of the parent. Mm -hmm. Being Mm -hmm. away from your children is the agony, okay? And there's so much shame and guilt around that Mm -hmm. um, on all counts. 
Um, so I saw it in action and I said, that's what I want to be a part of somehow creating, um, a future hope, a possibility where it seems so devastating and hopeless. And so I started get on the bus, this reunification for father's day at CMC. Mm -hmm. And then the following year I helped the people in Soledad to do it at CTF. Mm -hmm. And then the following year it was Slims Valley. So I start, Mm -hmm. helped started three programs. Did, and was it, when you first started it, was it well attended? I mean, did people take advantage of it? Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) Even from the beginning? Oh yeah. From the beginning. Sister Suzanne, who started this in 2000, uh, with the women's prison in Chowchilla. And she started it with kind of like a kitchen table conversation. Yep. She had all these women in the room. She had delegates from different faith traditions and other people saying, what is the one thing you need most? And the first woman stood up and said, I need to see my children and started bawling. I can't even, and it's like was, I'm right at the edge of what I can handle in that. That is so, so incredibly intense that's how it started and then every other woman said nothing else but that that's how get on the bus got started Mm. and when i came into the picture around 2007 ish six seven i wanted to do it for father's day absolutely i remember going into the prison with sister suzanne jabro and with um our youth minister from our parish and we went into cmc and whoever the guy was at the front desk we're here to see the public information officer. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about, said very curtly. And we told them we're here to see if we can start this event. That's a terrible idea. Oh, gosh. Why would you ever do that for these people? The public information officer said that. No, it was the man, the oh, got guard it. at the guard. Desk. Okay, okay. And, you know, I was a little bit floored. I would look towards Suzanne. You better have a response for this because I'm newbie at this. Mm -hmm. And we said, you know, all the statistical information, what we do, we've done it at other places. It could be done safely. It's an incentive for doing well Mm -hmm. while you're incarcerated. So you can get out and you know your family. You're not a stranger when you come out. There's a zillion different reasons. And for the guard, it probably makes your job easier. Correct. You don't have as many disciplinary problems, you know. So for all those reasons and more, it's a good idea. And we did it the first year. We brought one bus from Los Angeles. Mm. And by the time I left to start Restorative Partners, we were at almost 20 buses from coming all over California. Now that got cut back because of um, expenses, not on our part so Mm -hmm. much, but CDCR. um, And also COVID then following it. But it still is going today. And there's women who took my place afterwards because Mm. the sheriff... And probation then asked me to start Restorative Partners. Okay. And so explain what Restorative Partners is. So Restorative Partners is a nonprofit here in the county of San Luis Obispo. And our mission is transforming lives impacted by crime through healing services and relationships. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that mean practically? (laughs) Well, our vision is that everyone belongs. And so how do we begin to embrace that and work within in such a way that it's good and safe for everybody Mm -hmm. that's a real pipe dream but i'm all about dreaming well yeah if you can't so what if it's a pipe dream yeah i'm with you yeah so we jumped in with the sheriff uh in parkinson and at that time jim salio who's chief now Mm -hmm. it's robert reyes and we started programming in custody both at the juvenile hall and at the jail Mm -hmm. and we got to know a lot of people on all sides Mm -hmm. of the coin not only the people that were 
residents there, yeah. but officers and other service providers, and we just built relationships mm -hmm. all over the place. And we focused on um, in-custody wellness and trying to get them to the point where they were ready to leave and do something different. But we noticed the recidivism was quite high, mm. not just from our programs and other things, is because the bare necessities on the outside weren't met. So it's great that you feel good, you've gotten your clear-headed, you're dealing with your addiction, and you get out, there's no housing, there's no job mm. because of your criminal background, mm -hmm. and so you recidivate, you just go right back down the oh, toilet. Oh, that's what okay? recidivation means. That means, okay. yes. To Coming back. reoffend or yeah. violate in such a way that you've violated your probation orders or whatever, yes. and you're back in the can, okay? So we witnessed that, and we kept listening to our clients saying, we have nothing to hope for, nothing to go to. We don't have any jump start. We have nothing um, but, you know, law enforcement. So as we listened and learned from them what was needed, we began to see there was need for a programming that went from a continuum of care from in to out. Yeah. So our first program to lean in that direction is what we're still doing today. It's a mentorship program at mm -hmm. the jail. So we have an in-reach into the jail. A staff member goes in and talks with potential clients who want to be in a mentorship role mm -hmm. to help bridge that gap from in and out mm -hmm. to get their life on course. It's a supportive role. It interfaces with all kinds of law enforcement and service providers. Mm -hmm. It's an integrated program. So we've been doing that since about 2013 and 14. Does the program manager, the person who comes in, do they have a history of, I mean, were they once incarcerated? Is it like a peer kind of a thing? You have to be someone who can be cleared to go in the jail. Okay. Now it's not impossible that someone might have uh, be, been justice involved, mm -hmm. but then that would be case by case. Okay. So then we kept listening. We have no housing. We have no housing. Mm -hmm. What can we do? So in 2016-17, um, two houses that were sober living environments yeah. in our community, Los Osos, the owners decided they were not going to continue on. Shoot. And we had six mentees in those houses mm -hmm. that we had brought out. Mm -hmm. That mean they would be homeless again. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Uh, like how could bad. you possibly watch that happen? Yeah. Totally. yeah. So our board of directors decided that yeah, let's take this operation over. So we basically bought the business mm -hmm. and consulting from them to help us um, bring our capacity to the ability to do this. It was our first, you know, uh, re-entry program, housing program. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do it well. I wanted to make sure that we knew what we were doing. So um, we did that. And then the very next year, um, I remember Grace McIntosh meeting me on the City Hall steps mm -hmm. coming out of a, um, a funding meeting out of there, a grant meeting, and I, I'm stopping, she stops me on the steps. She said, Sister, we need a home for women and children. Will you do mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. There is nothing here. There's a in a residential program, but there's nothing to bridge between that and the next step of interdependence. And are we talking about women who were incarcerated or just anybody impacted by crime? Yes. Okay. So many of these are CWS cases, okay. child welfare cases. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And there, some of them had incarceration, not all, but they have been involved in the justice system. Got it. Okay. So there is a program, uh, Brian's House, that does a great job on the residential piece of it. The first three months where you do intensive wraparound treatment and all that. But mm -hmm. then the next step, they're not, they don't have a job yet. They don't have their own place yet. 
Uh, they need more support. Mm-hmm. And Somebody so, to hold their hand. Yeah, yeah. warm handoff kind of thing. Yep. So I said, okay, um, do you have some funding sources that we might be able to partner up with? And long story short, they uh, pointed me towards this donor who gave us initial amount of money to launch the program. And then we had to we had to partner with drug and alcohol, get mm-hmm. the funding there, and from DSS to get funding mm-hmm. to make sure we, we were we were renting at that point. Yeah. Um, thankfully, some volunteers bought the house for us. That's awesome. And then we rented from them with the understanding we would pay the down back. Mm-hmm. And we had a year and a half to do it, and in six months we paid the down <gasps> and we owned the house. Oh my gosh, that's so empowering. We did. Yeah, and so then we, uh, with the help of other funders, we um, then expanded it to a six-bedroom. So now it's a six-bedroom house. Cool. One room is for the manager, mm-hmm. a live-in manager, and then the other five bedrooms are for women and small children. Small children up to usually about the age of nine, mm-hmm. ten. Some exceptions have been made. It's one child, two child, up to three children. Mm. And that house, except for a short time of repairs last year. We have been open since 2017, March 19th. Full all the time? Full all the time, yeah. yeah. So we knew we were responding to a need. Mm-hmm. And, Big um, time. I'll circle back to that house in a moment, but it's named after my mother, Aww. Anna's home. Yeah. So my mother was Anna, and um, I, what I didn't tell you earlier, we're 10 original children, and when my father died, mm-hmm. um, my mother remarried a man who had seven Holy Toledo. So though some of them were grown up and out of the house jointly together there, I think there was five or six kids at home between Mm. the two. And then my mother was with him for 17 years and he died. And my mother had more love to give and more love to Mm. receive. And a few years later, she married a man who had two grown up children. (laughs) So I thought you were going to say 19. He had 15. No, no, no. (laughs) Mother Hubbard. (laughs) But... You know, what I learned out of that was um, yours, mine, no ours. Mm-hmm. And, but my mother loved large. Mm-hmm. And she was able to instill that in her children. And her greatest desire was to be able to provide for women who might have gone through hard times. Believe me, my mother did suffer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of uh, dysfunction there. And, um, but she learned out of that, that she wanted to help make a difference in somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. And I knew that she was my strongest supporter and coach. And so, and so what I wanted to do before she died was to be able to name a house after her, mm-hmm. Anna's home. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's quaint, it's beautiful. Uh, when you walk in the front door, you'll see a picture of my mom and mm-hmm. a poem my, my nephew wrote about her. And it's beautiful, you know. And we have a video right soon before she died um, of her welcoming the women. Oh, so she got to see it yes. and be part yes. of it. So that was very, very special. What a legacy. So to be able to do that, and who gets to do that? No, it's such it's a privilege. So cool. You know, so um, that happened. And then the next thing the DA was saying to me, Dan Dow, mm-hmm. uh, rightfully so, saying, Sister, we got to do something for parolees. There's no mm. programs around here coming from state prison. We how does help. it how does it feel when another official comes to you and says, "We need this"? <laughs> it feels the same as when I pay attention to clients who have needs. Uh-huh. He has a need. Yeah, yeah. They have a need. Yes. No one's 
more important than the other. Mm-hmm. You have to listen and say, actually, we need each other. <laughs> mm. We can only make this happen if we work together. Yeah. We can't have silos. Mm-mm. You know, we have to, it, it, it takes a village to do this work. I totally know that. Well, you're also obviously very effective. People wouldn't keep coming to ask you that if there wasn't a gifting there on your part for organizing you're shrugging and it's hilarious to me <laughs> it's hilarious to me <laughs> i don't pay too much attention to that no I, i'm I, sure you don't <laughs> but it's cool that um that they feel empowered to ask because they've seen results you know yeah, i think that's really cool. i think i think that's it and results not just for me of my staff yes. the hard work our yeah. staff does you know so i said okay I got to figure this out. Where can I get some money? So I got a little seed money from another person. And then I found this man who was introduced to me by another resident here in our community. Um, Quite an interesting person, Carissa Phelps, Mm -hmm. who wrote a book, Runaway Girl, on her experience of being trafficked as a child. And uh, her story is amazing, uh, how she came out of that, got a full education, became an attorney, uh, an MBA and uh, wrote her story and has her own foundation. I met her and um, she introduced me to a gentleman who had ways and means and wanted to get involved with work that we were doing. Mm-hmm. So I built a relationship with that man and practically near his time of death, which he, he did die, uh, he gave us the money for a down payment for a property in, mm. here in San Luis Obispo that had two houses on it. Mm. We call it Lionheart. L-Y-O-N-H-E-A-R-T, mm-hmm. because I wanted to think of, first of all, uh, Lyon in France is where our sisters came from to this country. Also the best eating in yes. the world. The best eating. Lyon, the mustard in totally, that city. Totally, totally, <laughs> totally, <laughs> Sorry, it's always always running in the background there. No, Lyon, oh my gosh. And I've been there. I just love that place. It's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. Yeah. And that's where our sisters at the median age, six of them, probably five or six, median age of maybe 21, 22, mm. were put on a ship and sailed the seas Craziness. to come to this country yeah. in wow. 1836. So I stand on the shoulders of great people, mm. and I wanted that to be a memory of the courage that our women took mm-hmm. so early on and uh, such a fragile organization at that point, but um, had wholehearted, love large people. Mm-hmm. And so that's the name of it. And I always think of lion-hearted. It's yes. big-hearted, yes. isn't it? It's brave-hearted. It's mm-hmm. all of that. So I wanted something like that for our men. And then there's two houses on there. One is Joseph House, because Mm, I'm a sister of St. Joseph. And one is Francis House. Mm. Somewhere after we got Lionheart, um, I had the privilege of doing a pilgrimage and uh, was with another sister, Teresa, in my community. And we flew into Florence, went to Siena, went to Assisi. And then we began our walk, and we walked to Rome. Oh my gosh, it, wait, hold on, that's far, that's, um, Assisi is, is it Tuscany or Umbria? It's, it's uh, Perugia. Yes. And so it's in the north, yep. you know, and um, so we started walking in Assisi wow. from the mountain ranges, Yes. and we walked between 15 and 20 miles a day. For, How many days? I would say nine days. That's incredible. And um, took shelter at, um, you know, um, little... 
VRBOs or mm-hmm. a hotel, all kinds of. We stayed on horse farms and olive mm-hmm. ranches and like agriturismos, that totally, kind of thing. Yeah. Totally. And so uh, it was a great privilege of my life to be able to take that time to do that. And Did that's you, soul work. You do, well, totally. I mean, one of my bucket list items is Compostela. Mm-hmm. Um, have you done that? No. Let's go. I would love to do that. Let's a lot go. of my friends have done this. I'm sure. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um, I chose the San Virginia way at that time because it, being in this work, it's heavy lifting and, and intense work. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be amount, a cast of thousands on the pilgrimage. I wanted it to be few. Yes. Well, and that would be different at Compostela. San Virginia way yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And it is a way. And I went through a Camino uh, organization that organizes everything. So mm-hmm. you know where you're lodging the next That's night. That's so great. And you just take your day pack, <coughs> excuse me, mm-hmm. and you wind up at the place. <coughs> you have dinner, you rest, you go to bed and get up the next day and do it again. That sounds so great. And it was great. And it ended with an audience with the Holy Father. Mm-hmm. Wow. So little did we know, <coughs> we had tickets to the Wednesday assembly, but <laughs> I thought we were going to be in the nosebleed section. Why wouldn't I? My friend, Sister Teresa, got tickets from someone on her school board. She's a principal. And we didn't bother to examine them or whatever. But the day we arrived to get through the ticket agent stuff, um, they kept ushering us forward. <laughs> Further? <laughs> keep going, keep going. I wasn't dressed in my best digs, you know. I mean, I'm coming from walking for nine days, you yeah, know. Yeah. But eventually, we were on the platform with the Holy Father, Pope yeah. Francis. Wow. And I was as close as I am to you. Yeah. That's how close he was to us. Wow. And he looked at us. Aww. And it was Beautiful. Francis the second, right? No, that would be John Paul the second. This is Pardon Francis. me, pardon me, the Francis. First and only Francis. Got it. Pope okay. Francis. The current Pope. Yes. And who I admire so much in his uh justice. Um, you know, uh, how he speaks about justice and restorative justice. Mm. And so we had that moment and I came back all invigorated. And um and then I knew our work was still evolving. We began to build out our treatment section mm. of our, our our restorative partners with contracts that would provide both housing and treatment funding. Mm-hmm. And then we grew into contracts for system navigation, mm-hmm. which are like as soon as people get out the gate, they come to our door yeah. and we assess. And right away, we're getting them into yes. you know what they A need. A protocol. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, right. Absolutely. So we have that. And then... Um, but also what was down in my belly. I know what this is. Yes, you know. You know it's coming. <laughs> I have to speak about it. People are like 48 minutes in, and we haven't talked about food once except for I know. mustard. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, shall I embark on that? Go. Yes. Okay. So Quickly, down in your belly. I watched men coming out of jail who were all certified to work in restaurants and couldn't get jobs. They were certified because of like doing food service in the jail? Correct. Okay. While they were incarcerated, they yeah. had many months, sometimes years. They got their safe serve and serve mm-hmm. management and all this, but because of their criminal background, had a hard time getting a job. Mm-hmm. Now, some of that has shifted in these days, but that stayed with me. It stayed with me the way the same question stayed with my mentor, Father Greg Boyle, the founder of Homeboy Industries. I know. I'm like, wait, Father Greg Boyle? Yes. He, was, he is your mentor. Yes. Mm-hmm. We've, so, of course, read his book. Yes. Oh, Tattoos my. on the Heart. Gosh, yes. what yes. a wonderful. This yes. is so great. Love it. Okay. So he's mentored me among other people, but he had the same feeling. 
doggone it, if these employers aren't going to give our people a chance, I'm going to start my own social enterprises. Yep. And that's what moved him. So I felt that way about food. Yes. I said, we're a tourist town. We're a college town. I mean, hospitality industry is one everything. Of the, everything. Yeah. So what could we do? And then it intensified with COVID because mm-hmm. all these people lost jobs and yes. restaurants went down. I said, this is good for both. So the opportunity came. And I won't go into the whole history, but I've been coveting the Bridge Cafe place for years, mm-hmm. but it was under other ownership. Yeah. I had a one crack at it about five years ago. It didn't pan out. I knew that this was a long time in coming. I think yes. I read somewhere that it, how many years in, in the process? I would say eight to 10 years I've been yes. dreaming about So this. even five years ago, you wanted it, couldn't I have it. Couldn't have it. Wasn't the right time. Mm-hmm. I The investment was too big. And, um, and so, you know, but I always tucked it away in my heart. And we were actively then looking for some place in this when COVID happened in mm-hmm. the next year, pretty 2021. 20, mm-hmm. And we were looking all around, and this became available. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, my gosh, could it be what I have been seeking and thinking about? And mm-hmm. the, a good place for a nonprofit, especially ours and yes. our mission. Yes. So we did a business plan quickly. We submitted it to the mm-hmm. county because they have to approve it in the real property office. But lo and behold, someone put theirs in just before us. Oh, shoot. And so we had to recede again because they would only entertain one at a time. Mm-hmm. And I remember the summer of July 4th, 2021, I took a walk on Pismo Beach. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, God, what do you want? We thought this was it. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem to be, but I'll trust you anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a mystery, but I'll trust you anyway. I got a phone call while I'm walking on the beach. The buyers fell out. Do you still want it, sister? <laughs> and I said, of course, but I better call my board president. And- <laughs> well, there is that. Yes. So we did. Everybody said, we already gave you the go. Go for it. Wow. So we did all of the stuff that had to happen. But it was already, I mean, if I remember correctly, there's, you know, Breaking Bread Bakery. They, oh, yes. It was very well set up yes. for just kind of, not turnkey maybe, but close. Not when we got there. Oh, okay. And it wasn't my idea. My idea was a commercial kitchen. It was a deli with a bakery. Uh, okay. And not, and the bakery really had disappeared because the owners of Breaking Bread took that big oven with them and out moved, the windows yes. to their new location. Right. So it was really... A, a depleted kind of operation. Okay. And I wanted a commercial kitchen because we want to teach culinary skills there. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that if you don't have the equipment to yeah. teach people on. Right. What? How long are you going to tell you to teach somebody to make a sandwich? You know, yeah. you, we want to be able to do the whole nine yards. So we uh, re- resurrected a partnership we had with Cuesta, this mm-hmm. culinary training program that we had prior to COVID. And uh, we went for it. And the vision I had was this culinary program through Cuesta in partnership with us Mm -hmm. and a full commercial kitchen that we would start small and build out Mm -hmm. for opportunities. Our our concession is from 7 to 3, Monday through Friday. But I have other ambitions with this. Yeah. With evening and weekend opportunities. Training, right. Training and also making food. Yeah, catering, that kind of thing. Oh, catering is like on my front door right now. Yeah, yeah. And and so I see this, the sweetest part of it, it's called the Bridge Cafe because we're bridging lives from in to out. We're also bridging relationships who come to the government center 
mm-hmm. be it tourists mm-hmm. or a family who's been to court mm-hmm. or a victim seeking justice. Or somebody voting. Or someone voting yeah. or a judge mm-hmm. or a DA or probation or parole or a city cop or regular folks or all of our friends with restorative partners that we've made over the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. The last week, because we've only been open a week, yeah, a week and two <laughs> I days. I can't believe you're here. <laughs> I sat there and I, 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 felt like, I felt like I wanted to just sit at this table mm. and have a parade of people, because that's what it is. I go in there, I know all these people from every sector mm. of our community that has supported us or have been curious about us. Now we have a meeting place, a gathering space yeah. Yeah. to break bread at a kitchen table mm-hmm. and remember that this is an inclusive table mm-hmm. where people are going to diminish the stigma and enter into the sense of unity and community in this county. If I could give one gift, it would be unity mm-hmm. in diversity mm-hmm. and the appreciation that we all have a story. We're all human beings. We all eat. We all think. We all move in this community, and we are brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. That's what the Bridge Cafe is. And I witnessed it, especially this week, as numbers of people were coming. And I got, oh, hi, oh, hi, oh, hi. Oh, my gosh, you're here. Thank you. And you're coming back. Yeah. You know, I mean, one person in law enforcement that I know very well, the other day was there three different times with three different people. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. It was just amazing. So now, when you say, it's so funny, first thing you said when you walked in my door was, you know, I'm really not a foodie. Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, that's just not a word that, like, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> we all like food. None of us is like, I hate food. Um, but I would say that you do qualify mm-hmm. as one because you saw that this was the pathway for more than just feeding people. Correct. And it's also more than a pathway for helping um, helping people get jobs. I mean, it's so much more than all of that. Yes. yes. But I should, so my listeners will be mad if I don't ask. So what kind of food do you have oh, there? It is so delicious. So mm. our supervision, our ca- kitchen supervisor is someone that I've walked with for many years. Mm-hmm. And uh, from in- imagine from incarceration to graduating from the San Diego Institute of Culinary oh, Arts. Oh, fantastic. And he's a vet. Mm-hmm. And he's someone who deserved more mm-hmm. for his service and for his personhood. So coming alongside him, he's taught me what this pathway is and how to support him. And in return, he's come back to give back Mm. and to be a witness to the possibility of rehab and ability with skill set and knowledge and experience. Mm -hmm. And so he's a wonderful example to the others. Um, We have uh, in the kitchen also another gentleman that I met in custody, and he became a professional baker Mm. in the food, uh, grocery industry, Mm -hmm. and he's working with us. Um, We have a young lady who just graduated from the New York Institute of Colonial Arts who has not had any justice-involved experience but is our, what we call our Qs, Culinary Education Workforce Specialist. Mm -hmm. So she does all the work with our clients that are in studies at -hmm. at Cuesta and will intensively work with them when they get their internships. Mm -hmm. And then we have a beautiful young lady who's been an Anna's home, so we return. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, she has experience with cashier and barista, mm-hmm. and so we hired her. 
and another woman who came from Hope House, our other house, mm-hmm. and is a barista and cashier there too. Yeah. And uh, and then we have another gentleman, our our general manager, um, has had lots of experience in the food industry, both in the hospital setting, Cal mm-hmm. Poly setting, like institutional. Setting. Yeah, right. Yeah. He's the general manager, mm-hmm. and then we have a line cook that has lots of experience with his own heritage mm-hmm. and in restaurant business. Um, particularly within, um, I would say, the Mexican tradition. Yeah. And it's just So is wonderful. there Mexican food on the menu then? Well, no. We, we are supposed to not have any one ethnic representation mm-hmm. totally. Mm-hmm. So we're eclectic in that. Mm-hmm. But we had the best tortilla soup yesterday. Yum. That I know his fingerprints were all <laughs> over. And um, he's got lots of spreads and spices that he uses mm-hmm. that are very good. Um, my special is the quiche. I love our homemade quiche. Nice. And it, the love crust is so delicate. Yeah. It's almost like a souffle. Yeah. Oh, it, you've got to eat it. It mm-hmm. is vegetable and it's vegetarian. In, uh, it's not vegan, but it's vegetarian. Yeah. And then we have wonderful croissant and mm-hmm. um, our own cinnamon rolls and our own uh, cookies. Mm-hmm. Oh, the cookies are to die, die for. Scones, both Love savory it. and sweet, are mm. so delicious. The salads, oh, a variety of salads. A chef's salad. There was probably like a Southwest one. Yeah. And so like bistro food kind yeah, of. Yeah, it is. Okay. It really is. Yeah. Now that's where we're starting. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that's where we're going to end up. Yeah. But we're going to get, we're a week and a half old. We're getting the wheels underneath our feet. Make sure our... Our recipes are solid rock, so yep. the first time you get it and the fifth time you get it, it's consistent. just as good. Yep. Consistent. All of that has to be dialed in. And we have our POS system, making sure mm-hmm. that we our point of sales is all intact and ready to go, and our online ordering, so the grab-and-goes in place. Mm-hmm. A lot of county workers only have 20, 30 minutes for lunch. Yes. They're going to run. They're going to order online, run, grab-and-go. You yeah. know, We have all that in place. Awesome. So we're dialing it all in, and we have visions of where we can go with this. Mm-hmm. We've already have two big catering opportunities that we'll be doing the next few weeks, and uh, large groups. So we're dialing that in. Yep. Um, but it's called the Bridge Cafe, 1074 mm-hmm. Higuera Street, and it's right sort of the appendage of the government center yep. between Monterey and Higuera. Mm-hmm. Um, open right now, Monday through Friday, uh, 7 to 3. Mm-hmm. And I invite just everyone to come and join us, taste and see the mm-hmm. goodness that's in our it. community yeah. and the crossover opportunities. Mm-hmm. And just to enlarge our space, our life, our loves and around food in the kitchen table. It's so good. It's so good and so exciting. And I forgive me, I did not realize you are one week in. Yep. And the fact that you said yes to come and sit here, I'm just like, don't you need to go? This is insane. Oh my gosh, so many plates spinning, yes. you know. Yes, yes, Um Well, Sister Teresa, thank you so much for your time oh. and explanation. And not just the time you've spent, obviously, here at my table, but... Yeah you know, so many tables all over the world. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it sounds like you get a, almost everything that you give it back. Totally. Yeah. I'm the one who gets to receive and appreciate because it's been a total gift in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, food, family, faith, they all run through my life and my life's work. And um, and so it's my time just to say thank you to this community. Mm-hmm. Thank you to those that made this possible. The Bridge Cafe has so many villagers that put this together 
and particularly a shout out to the Community Corrections Partnership Committee that approved the funding that we had to mm -hmm. renovate and to get the equipment that we did and so many other things. The Board of Supervisors, I couldn't have done it without them. Yeah, right. Um, our clients who wanted to get into this, they're just a cast of thousands. Yes. The architect who did all his work pro bono, you mm -hmm. know, Brian Starr, superstar. Oh, yes. uh -huh. So there just many, 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 many people, heartfelt yeah. people that have been a part of this. And I just get to witness to their greatness mm. and goodness. Well, now tell me if it was your last day on earth and mm -hmm. you wanted to finish up with a really good meal, mm -hmm. what would you have? What would you drink? And what, who would be there? Oh my goodness. I think I'm so attracted just sitting at the bridge cafe patio mm -hmm. and whoever walks up and sits down <laughs> and says, can I have a moment? Yeah. Then I would say that as my cue to be present. I asked Father Greg Boyle many years ago, how do you do this with so many irons in the fire and you're like juggling your act? Mm -hmm. And he says, this is my mantra, now this. Mm -hmm. Like being here with you, I'm not thinking of anything else. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about being here with you, now this. Mm -hmm. And when I get to the next this, then I'll be in that thisness. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if I could do that, no matter where I find myself on my last day on earth, I will say that I've shown up and been present and I've given it a hundred percent in that presence who comes. That's whatever happens, whatever meal set before me, I'll say, thank you. Mm. I don't have a particular diet or appetite. That's my problem. I could eat anything <laughs> and be happy. <laughs> you know, very few things I back off of. So I would say whatever is in the moment, present, accessible, and someone to share it with. Best answer ever. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> this is so fun. You're so fun. Thank you. And we just found out we're neighbors, so I'm going to come over all the time. I know. I know. We'll have to have tea and coffee. Definitely. Okay? I would love that, Jamie. Thank you for who you are, what you're doing to create community especially around the table. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. Amen. Thank you. That's a wrap for this episode of Consumed. Thanks so much to Chris Lambert, who edits the podcast, and to you for listening. If you want more info about Consumed or any of my guests, visit letsgetconsumed.com. Until next time, I'm Jamie Lewis.